4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. All right, here we go. Start of the 4 o'clock hour, football frenzy time. We are going to bring in a national NFL expert from Pro Football Talk, Miles Simmons in just a couple of minutes. Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield. Ari's in the Finley Toyota Studios. Candy, did you see the numbers that are in ratings-wise for last night's national title game? Decent, not outstanding, not a disaster. Uh, the numbers were down a little bit. I think last year was around twenty-five million at the peak. Last night was around twenty-two and a half million. So, I think anyone who wants to throw out, hey, you know, college football fatigue with the audience, the numbers really don't back it up. I'd be very curious, and I don't know how they do this measurement. Maybe you can fill me in if you know it, about are we measuring continuously during the game? Because I think you probably had a much larger audience in the second half for this game once social media said, hey, remember that field goal fest that you turned off at halftime? It got really interesting. You might want to put it back on because uh, that game was by far better in the second half than it was in the first. You think that actually happens? I, I can tell you it's true for me. It's true yeah. for me. Not that I turned off the game. I had the game on the entire time, but I'm going to tell you what. There are times where I'll have a certain game on, and I'll see the social chatter picking up about a different game. And I'm like, yeah. oh, all right. Yeah, I'm going over there. I guess that's the positive side of social media. I'm, I'm finding more and more when it comes to football, the negative side of social media when they're talking football is really to be ignored because the average person doesn't think the way the snark does on social media because all I kept hearing, as you were saying, uh, all I kept hearing was how boring the game was and field goal fest and all that. But as I was watching, I'm like, I, I'm not watching the same game. All I'm seeing is two teams go up and down the field and stall inside the 20. That doesn't make it a bad game. It means that they're not executing in the red zone. And more importantly, the defenses were stepping up. So a lot of what people were, were talking about on social media in the first half wasn't what was really happening. Well, no, people are always going to complain about that. They're all If it's defense, they're complaining. But I'm going to tell you why ESPN has it nailed doing the megacast. Because when the game got to that point, and it's back and forth, it's field goals and defense. You know what I did? I turned on the coach's film room. I wanted to see what Jimbo and his coaches were saying about why it was happening. Right? Give me options. You gave me choices, and I took advantage of the choices. I went over to the film room. And I listened to Jimbo and his coaches talk about what's going on and what they can do to change things up in the second half. Yeah, that was another interesting thing in the last couple of weeks about uh, social media, about how the bowl system sucks. And then repeatedly I've seen the numbers come down the pike that the bowls did just fine on TV. So, and I, you know, I've drawn the comparison we've talked about in the past. We will have the Pro Bowl here in just a little bit in Las Vegas. And you will see a healthy contingent of snarks on social media talking about the Pro Bowl being stupid, and then every year people watch it, don't they? Look, man, it's this football. comes down to it comes down to one thing. In the end, it comes down to one thing. Can you bet on it? Yes. So if you can bet on it, then people are going to watch it. That's it. There's nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Especially when it comes to bowl games, you can watch it. You can bet on it. End of story. <laughs> Numbers also in for the Saturday NFL tilts last week. 
Bafo numbers, although very weird because they're comparing it to uh, Monday Night Football numbers. It was on a Saturday. I, it was like, I, you know, re- record rating numbers for Monday, ESPN's Monday Night Football on a Saturday. Uh, but both games did uh, a little over $19 million, which, by the way, is a number for both. That is actually less than the college football title game last night, which apparently a lot of people are fatigued with the SEC matchups all the time or Bama being in it all the time. So uh, football just doing fine in terms of the numbers. Back. And we'll say back in the bag for grab bag. Um, where are you right now on Derek Carr? You know, I'm, I'm always combing, especially uh, Raider Nation social media, because we know Carr is a very polarizing figure. And I saw some lady who uh, says she covers the Raiders and is a big Raiders fan saying that it was sad to see Raiders fans still hating on Derek Carr. You're not a real Raiders fan if that's the case. Hating on him, or can we come out of the last four games, and especially the last game, by saying both he made some key passes to put them in a position to win the game, the third down pass to Zay Jones, which you know was nicely pointed out by Chris Collinsworth, was an awesome throw by Derek Carr, but he also closed the season in those final four games, thrown for about 210 yards a game. He had six touchdowns and five interceptions. He was solid, but not spectacular. Hater! Like, wait, what? He made some plays, but he wasn't awesome. We can say that, right, without being labeled a hater. Damn it, Cofield, why are you trying to put nuance into this? It's yes or it's no. It's black white that's it Derek Carr can't be okay he either sucks or he's the best so I don't know maybe we should maybe you and I should be talking more about the haters shouldn't mm-hmm. we should we be talking about the haters because I'm the one who's been since 2017 check the tape baby I'm the one who said you can win with Derek Carr I've said all the way back to when they first said this team was coming to Vegas, I've said, you can win with Derek Carr. Well, guess what the Raiders did on Sunday night? They won in spite of Derek Carr. And that's the, fine. Yeah. The uh, PFF grades for the season of AFC quarterbacks. Joe Burrow was the number two quarterback in the NFL. Believe it or not, Josh Allen was number six in the NFL, according to PFF. Ryan Tannehill, nine. Mac Jones. Wow. Well, numbers-wise, I guess he was good. He uh, faded down the stretch. He was number 12, 13, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, PFF hates the Chiefs. 14, Derek Carr, and then no shocker, Big Ben all the way down at number 29. So if you're going to go into the PFF grades, I did the work to go behind the PFF grades, Cofield. I did the work, and I figured out that if you go back to when Henry Ruggs had his incident, from that point, Forward to week one, Derek Carr was PFF's number three quarterback, the third-rated passer in all of football. After that time, after the loss of Ruggs and not having Darren Waller for weeks on end, he was number 17. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. 
We loved the team we had this year. We knew everyone we brought in this year. We expected to play winning football, Reich said. Next year's roster will be next year's roster. I don't want to open uh, it up about one player and then start talking about all of them. He said, you asked me about Carson, then who are you going to ask me about next? T.Y.? That's the worry. That'll be hardcore conversation about T.Y. Hilton and his future at age 140, and you're comparing that to who the quarterback is going to be? Come on now. There's something there. That was Pat McAfee on his show talking about Frank Reich skirting the question about Carson Wentz because they have to think about what they're going to do with Wentz. Miles Simmons covers the NFL nationally for Pro Football Talk. You can see him on PFT's Peacock shows. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, but that was absurd from Frank Reich, was it not? Uh, I don't know if it was absurd. I, I What is he going to say now, right? I mean, the, the whole thing with Carson Wentz, it just so very clearly failed. And you could hear him in his answers basically say that, the, that Carson Wentz was the problem without kind of saying Carson Wentz was a big part of the problem, right? Because he said that we were too reliant on our run game and we got too one-dimensional and this and that. And so when he's saying that, it really is an indictment of Carson Wentz. But like when you traded what's now ended up being a first round pick for this guy, like this is not uh, an ideal situation because you still have him under contract for this year. And he's going to, it's going to be a pretty penny to just eat all of that. Um, and, you know, find a new quarterback, but they're, they're going to have to do something. Should Frank Reich actually be talking about the future? Should he be part of the future? The guys made the playoffs two or four years out of the AFC South, and this year was an absolute collapse. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a total collapse, and especially given the way things ended against the Jaguars. Like, you know, he didn't have his team ready to play in two straight weeks, and all they had to do was win and they would get in. And it was really strange, too, because they were so obviously ready to play when they went and played um, Arizona on Christmas Day, right? So it's confusing um, the way things collapse. But, yeah, I mean, he... And frankly, Chris Ballard should both be on the hot seat entering next year. I, I think that they've done enough to get one more year, but it's kind of like in Atlanta uh, a couple years ago where, you know, Dimitrov and um, Dan Quinn were both fired a few weeks into the season, I guess five games into the season. Like that's kind of the situation that I would anticipate uh, would happen with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. Like they can't get off to another slow start because if, if it is, then they got to go. Miles, how did we end up in the American Football Conference with Jonathan Taylor and Justin Herbert not in the playoffs, but Ben Roethlisberger and Derek Carr in the playoffs? I feel like any conspiracy theory a Raider fan ever had about how much the league hates them, it's over now. It's completely over. (laughs) The Raiders get in in the craziest game we've seen all year. Well, right. I mean, it's resiliency, it's head coaching and uh, experience with the quarterbacks, right? I, I think that those are really the three things. I mean, I I think that Brandon Staley has done some good things and I sometimes like how aggressive he is, but I think we saw how reckless he is um, in Sunday's game. You don't hand your opponent three free points. You know, and uh, Steve, I know we kind of went back and forth about this on Twitter a little bit on then when the game was going on, but like, I'm sorry, you don't give your opponent three free points when you're in the NFL, especially when you're in the third quarter. Like, you're, this is not the way to, to coach in the NFL. It's just not. And, and so, so, just, so, Miles, did he, did he get, so let me, I'm, I'm going to counter that because I don't think it was the wrong decision. Do you think he gave them three free why? points by the decision? Yes. By the decision. 
or by the play call. Because what they did was needing one yard, they twice decided to run the ball directly into the gut with an offensive line that was getting racked all day long. I, I don't think it's a bad choice for Brandon Staley if they run a reasonable play call, put the ball in the hands of their best player. I think both. I think it's bad. I think it's bad process. I mean, because I mean, people were pointing to, you know, those decision bots and all. So, I mean, yeah, I, the play call also was obviously terrible, but I don't like the process of going for it there in the first place. You, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what the score was at that point, but I think they were only that they weren't down by very much. And the score was tied. And, you know, you're in a situation where you're at the minus 18. You don't you shouldn't go for it at the minus 18 with eight minutes left in the third quarter, pump the ball away, trust your special teams, trust your defense, because you're putting your defense in a very untenable situation if you don't make it, right? And so you're seeing the decision bots and all this crap and how they're talking about, oh, well, it says to go for it. It says to go for it. Well, if you look at what the numbers were, what those numbers were saying, right? So I saw one that was like, it says go for it. And it was 39% you should go for it because it increases you're winning to whatever, and the other choice was 38%. You're going to tell me that you have to go for it by that on one percentage point? That's ridiculous. That's not knowing the sport, right? So I think there's obviously a good use for analytics. I'm not trying to be, you know, anti-analytics, whatever, right? Because it's it's a pro it, it's it's a tool to help you. But I think in that situation, you have to know how to coach football. And I think that that's Staley's inexperience showing okay. up right there. All right, but giving you're saying three free you're points saying, to your opponent. You're saying, okay, you, you can't say on one hand that, you know, you, you, uh, you respect analytics. And on the other hand, say the bots and all this crap. There were five different win probability models, all at various forms of 1% to way, way higher that said I that did not the charges were increasing. That was more than I retweeted 5%. all of them. Why don't you follow Social media, Miles, you're supposed okay, to be following well, sorry, my social next media I will. <laughs> very closely. I will make sure you see all of them. No, I understand that it look it looks horrible when that goes wrong. It is it horrible. Looks, it looks it, the, horrible. the process the process is bad. And like I'm not I'm not even if they had gotten that thing on fourth and one, my thought would be the process is bad. I don't like the process. And you know, maybe I'm just too old school. I don't know how that's a thing, you know, my but like I just it's not good process. And I think the other part about Staley that is so frustrating is that the team was not ready to play. When you go to Houston a few weeks ago, Houston's got all these dudes out with COVID and they pee down their leg. Are you kidding me? Why isn't your team ready to play? You know, you can't just go into these situations and not have your team ready to play. So I think it's an indictment on Staley. And I think it's an indictment on Frank Reich that they're not in the postseason to answer your original question. I will ask which players on the Texans who are out rival Austin Eckler, Joey Bosa, and Mike Williams? Because that's who the it doesn't matter. It does matter. Was Justin Herbert playing? Was Justin was Justin Herbert playing, or was Ju was Justin Herbert playing or not? Was Justin was Herbert playing. playing or not? Yes. So okay, then there's your answer. Give me a break. Come on. I mean, now. I just named I they're named the two Texans. They're the Houston Texans. They they're terrible. The they were a three-win team at that point, and there's no reason in the world that you should go in there and lose the way you did. I, I just, you know, and, and I don't even hate Brandon Staley. I really don't. I Like I said, I think that there are some good things that he's done. Obviously, he was a fantastic defensive coordinator. But when you don't have your team ready to play, and then when you give your opponent three free points, I'm not, I, like, I can't defend that. Uh, Mike Lombardi said afterwards that he never worked for an owner who wouldn't have fired Staley. He says, yeah. basically suggesting that Staley should be fired. Well, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but, like, what? and I, like, no. 
<laughs> I mean, I may be railing against him, but here's the thing too, man. Like one thing about, about Brandon Staley is I think that he's going to learn from these experiences, you know? I mean, and people are going on and on about the timeout. The timeout thing doesn't really bother me as much as, you know, you say that you want to get your right personnel in there. Well, then your right personnel just got blasted back for a 10-yard, you know, gain on the next play. So, like, that's bad. That That's worse than calling the timeout. You know, you got to get your right personnel in there. Well, your right personnel stunk, and then you lost. So, how's that? You know, so I, I think that Saley's going to continue to grow and continue to get better as an head coach. But, yeah, I'm not – I, I wouldn't say you get fired for that. That's a little. That's a little much. Uh, no surprise that Lombardi did also say that uh, in the case of the Miami coach going bye bye, that uh, he should be hired somewhere and he will be a great coach at his next spot. I mean, the Belichick guys stick together. What do you think of what happened in Miami? What's the insight on this? Like how how bad was it behind the scenes? I mean, I saw Omar Kelly of Dolphins reporter say that, hey, listen, the problem is uh, the guy can't coach offense. Uh, he made bad offensive hires, and he comes from the Belichick tree where they teach you to be kind of a D-head, and maybe he's not a guy who's easy to get along with. Yeah, and but if that's the case, it's like, the, aren't you paying him to win football games? right? And they did yep. win, especially in the second half of the season. I mean, you know, they went 8-1 and one to finish the season. They beat the crap out of the Patriots on Sunday. You know, they, he did a really good job, especially against the kings of the AFC East, which are the Patriots. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and I, I respect Omar Kelly a lot because I know that, you know, there are few people who have better insight on uh, the Dolphins than him. So I, I believe what he said there, you know, and I, I think there really is something, too, when you have to cycle through so many offensive coordinators. And But I, I do think that Flores should get another job. But my first question would be, who's going to coach the offense, right? Like if I'm the Bears, and I probably would have interest in uh, Flores, but I would have to t ask him, hey, man, who is going to coach the offense? Who is going to bring up Justin Fields? Because that's the most important person right now in our organization. And if you don't get a good answer, and, you know, or if it's this, oh, we're going to have a co-offensive coordinator system and I'm not going to tell people who calls the plays. Like, that's so silly, you know, and that's something that comes right out of the New England playbook where it's like, we don't have to tell you anything. But it's like, OK, right. there are 30 other teams that just tell you who calls the plays. It's really not that difficult and it really doesn't matter that much. It's not giving you that much of a competitive advantage. I think that silly stuff needs to go out the window. And they just need to fit and he needs to figure out somebody that he compare himself with that's really going to be able to coach offense because I think that was really the thing that was holding him back in uh, Miami. That said, I don't think he should have been fired. I like this Miles Simmons. He's very argumentative. Miles, of course, with PFT. Uh, while we're at it, um, Max Crosby had an amazing year. Uh, frankly, a better year by the overall numbers than T.J. Watt. How is T.J. Watt PFT's defensive player of the year? What are you guys doing? He set the sack. He's tied the sack record. Period. Case closed. Well, he he didn't set the record because it was in seventeen games. So that's he the first he tied it. Well, no, he only played fifteen. So no, no, we're not we're not doing injuries. It's of games available, and he did in the seventeenth game. It's a seventeen game record. I don't care. Well, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. I mean, like when Eric when Eric Dickerson set that rushing record, which is still not going to be touched, even if there are seventeen games, unless Derrick Henry does it. I can't, no, that's not the way the record book works. 
TJ Watt is fantastic year. And I don't know what you're, I mean, like I have nothing against Max Crosby of all people. I, I, I should have mentioned him in the post um, that we wrote today. You I, 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 I noticed, you, I noticed you left him out. Because I, I did, I did leave him out. I'm not, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a total, I'm a total Raider hater, aren't I? Yeah. But no, I look, if it's not only TJ Watt, then it's Aaron Donald, right? I mean, Aaron Donald could win this dang award every single year. He's that good. He's that consistent. But TJ Watt changes the complexion of that defense. They are going to the playoffs in large part because TJ Watt is that good. He is. He really, really, really is dominant. He's a force. He's not only leading the league in sacks, also in tackles for loss. Right, and I I don't say that to take anything away from Max Crosby. I mean, Crosby right. has been fantastic. I do think that Crosby could win this award. You know, not just the PFT one, but the AP one that they give out at NFL Honors at some point in his career. I do, but not this year. I I don't have the numbers on the Raiders, so I'd like a, a deeper dive on this one. But I do think we do uh, we need to examine the most important parts of a, a defensive lineman's job when it comes to sacks versus hurry rate versus quarterback knockdown rate versus pressures. Right? I got him. I got him if you want him. <laughs> well, how's oh, boy. Here, of the, course here, you do. Here's the, uh, here's the Steelers numbers. So they had 55 sacks. That was first in the NFL. Uh, they ranked 18th in hurry rate, 25th in quarterback knockdown rate, and 12th in pressure rate. We know by himself that Max Crosby led the league as an individual in pressures. What numbers do you have, Candy? Uh, Max Crosby led the league in pressures, and it wasn't all that close. He had 101 quarterback pressures. Rashawn Gary was number two. At 81. Now, I'll give T.J. Watt this much. He had 100-odd less pass rushes than Max Crosby, and knowing what we do about T.J. Watt, he might have gotten to that number uh, if he gets the opportunity. The fact is, though, Max Crosby played all 17 games and led the league in pressures by the same amount that if you go from the number two guy down to the number eight guy, it was the difference. Damn. Miles. Okay. Later. A lot of numbers. <laughs> a lot of numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I have nothing against Max Crosby. I really think he's a great player. I obviously think he's one of the reasons that the Raiders are going to the playoffs. He was. If, if you talked to me before the season when, by the way, I picked the Raiders to go to the playoffs when it was not very popular, uh, then I, I would have said that him and Ngakwe would probably be one of the reasons as a pass rushing tandem that the Raiders would make the playoffs. And, and look, it's happened. So... I'm not a hater. I'm not. I like Max Crosby, man. I, I think he's good. Check out Miles on uh, Pro Football Talk. You can see his story about Joe Burrow being a full participant today, and also a story about Anthony Lynn being out in Detroit. All the good stuff up at ProFootballTalk.com. What's coming up later in the week on Peacock? Uh, well, I will be there for the Wednesday and Friday edition of Pro Football Talk PM. We will be keeping everybody up to date with all the latest on all the head coaching searches and firings because certainly seems like there could be more at any time. Good deal. We can hang out a couple times next year. Raiders are going to L.A. twice next year with the Rams and the Chargers on the road. Oh, look at that. Oh, How about that? I didn't realize they are coming for the Rams, too. Nice. There you go. All right, Miles. Thank you. Take care, guys. Yeah, the great thing is uh, we didn't hang out this year when they went down there once, so I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, Fat Pack on the way back. I think we're going to have a big argument about milk, and then uh, our man, Sam Paniotovich, is in to review what happened with the national title game and is going to tell me if I need to bet Alabama right now for the national title next year. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I don't care if the sun don't shine. 
I do my drinking in the evening time when I'm in Las Vegas. You can sit in the sun and camp. I get my color from a sunray lamp. When I'm Candy, what are you drinking during the show today? I got a little ginger ale right now. Oh, you know exactly what I'm drinking. Same as I do every show. Orange juice and water. Is that right? Absolutely. About, about two, three ounces of orange juice and some water because I can't drink straight water because it's boring. <laughs> uh, that is so ridiculous, but I agree, actually. I'm, I'm bored by water. Um, if I had some fresh milk, because I really don't want to go the Anchorman route and uh, you know be drinking like curdled milk, and uh, it's not warm right now, but you get my point. If I had some fresh milk, I may have a big glass of milk during the show. Nothing wrong with that, right, Ari? Yeah, totally normal. Um, what's the problem? Uh, are we doing our National Day stuff here, National Milk Day? Are we all going to play along? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm over here quenching my thirst in the studio with a delicious glass of vitamin D whole milk. It just goes down so smooth. You're anti-milk. I am. Uh, well... I'm anti-milk for basically anything that's not cereal or dessert or, of course, cooking and baking. Uh, those are the primary uses, and it's very good for those three things. Everything else you weirdos use it for, nah. That was four. Cooking and baking is clustered together, Candy. Come on. You can't even count. How do I trust your <laughs> opinion about milk? Oh. Huh? I'll also add, so, let's, you see this amazing physique. This is what comes from not drinking milk. Uh, in third grade as a kid ooh, with, with ooh, the meals ooh, ooh, that they forced ooh, us to Fat shaming? <laughs> fat shaming? Fat shaming. If anything, I'm like making fun of my lack of bone density. But yeah, I don't. I never understood that from, from a child all the way to now. I never understood the fascination with milk. That's all I got. Well, you're a jerk. <laughs> That's all you got. It's not all I have. Trust me. It's just I was slow playing it. <laughs> I am not a uh, whole milk guy anymore. I'm a uh, skim or zero, as they call it. Skim, I think it was a bad label. So fat-free milk. I'm a fat-free milk guy. And uh, I don't really use it for anything but drinking. How about that? Crazy. Yes, yeah. it makes sense. But I, but I will say I do live with someone. The SO is a supporter of your stance. She mocks on me all the time for just randomly drinking milk. So I guess she was not a milkaholic growing up. Kudos you know, there is a way to evolve to a higher plane. You can take the next step in your in your evolution. And this could be for Ari or for Steve. Almond milk, guys. You just just get to the almond milk stage of things. Can I add one more thing I hate about milk, but but you're right, almonds, almonds a good alternative. Is for someone like me that's all by themselves having to drink all that milk. I can't tell you the last time I actually bought milk from the store and was able to finish it before it spoiled. Almond milk, I've heard, is last way longer, so maybe I will adapt. What about that oat milk stuff? That was the rage. I felt like when we were shut down and there was a milk shortage, people were going after the oat milk. Yeah. I watched, I, yeah. I watched a guy at Trader Joe's buy a couple of things of oat milk, and then he was raving about it to me. I still have not tried it. I think there's a pretty solid rule to be written that if a rando in Trader Joe's is raving to something about you, probably right. pass. Like, I'm going to go ahead and say, go let that one go, as opposed to a rando on, 
you know, sports talk radio telling you that you can evolve to a higher plane with almond milk. Here's what I'm going to say. There is a particular store out there uh, that has an almond milk that tastes so good that I actually drink it like a mug of it. Just drink it the same way I used to drink milk with cookies. I love it that much. It actually tastes enough like milk. Sweetened? Is it a vanilla? Oh, oh, no. Come on. Look Look at me. Look at me. What do I drink that's sweetened? I, I cut my oh, orange no juice with water. All right. Uh, breaking news in also for the Fat Pack. Uh, Snoop Dogg apparently is starting a career now in the hot dog business. He has filed a trademark on the brand name Snoop Dogs. Seriously. Will this work? Brilliant. I want a little bit of Shaq soda with a Snoop Dogg. I think we... We can trademark in in all of these, all of these horrendously unhealthy things for you. Okay, I should maybe I shouldn't slander Snoop. Maybe they're going to be plant based hot dogs. Snoop does love his plants. I I feel like everything Snoop has touched lately is actually turning to gold or turning into gold because uh, what is he? He's doing the beer commercial where he's walking around the beach. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hot dogs though, it'll be interesting. We'll see. Cofield, restaurant, I'm gonna, yeah. restaurant biz and an easy biz. Can I ask you maybe the most inside baseball East Coast question that is possible? And we're going to leave Papaya King out of this because nobody knows what I'm talking about. But of things that you can get out here, Nathan's or Hebrew right. National? Uh, I don't like Nathan's, so Hebrew National. They don't have they don't have Sabret out here. Maybe maybe a couple. Oh, Sabret. Yeah. Right I will outside give, Yankee I, Stadium. I will give kudos. I never had these hot dogs before. I will give kudos to our buddy uh, Chris at Naked City Pizza with his Salem hot dogs from uh, Buffalo. So those are pretty yeah. good. Oh, God, it, it, yes. Ted's Hot Dogs in Tempe, Arizona is a Buffalo tradition. If you've never been there, you need to oh, wow. go there. Ted's Hot Dogs. Charco- they have the charcoal grill right there. I would have a charcoal grilled footlong from Ted's Hot Dogs. If you gave me that, I would even, I would even drink a glass of cold, whole vitamin D milk with it. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Sam Penny out of it is in. I got mushed last night. I don't know why I did it. I mean, he's only like 500 this year. He was like 40% last year. But the bartender got me last night, Sam. I took Alabama, and your uh, your resident mush was on the Crimson Tide. He was not 40% last year. He was 32.3% last year. This year, let's see, yeah. what's his record now? I believe he's 21 and 24. So yeah, 21 yeah. divided by 45, I think is about 47%. Either way, he stinks. And here's the silver lining. He was pathetic in the playoffs last year in the NFL. Okay. All right. So he's a playoff fade for sure. Oh, he's one of my favorites. I believe I believe he was one and six last year in the in the uh, playoffs, including his like bailout special on the Super Bowl over, which never had a shot. So when we get to the postseason, he finds the the roundest bet. Like he's the biggest marble in the postseason. What a nightmare! I actually uh, I had Alabama plus three going into the game, and once Georgia scored, I think uh, they were up thirteen nine at that point. I'm like Alabama's coming back and winning. 
and didn't work out. So I actually had money line Bama plus 180 plus 210. So lost all of them. It happens sometimes. And uh, the other thing that uh, that I did, I was part of the Twitter crew that was piling on Stetson Bennett. And guy turned out to make a couple of big plays. So for all you Georgia betters, good uh, good job showing faith in Stetson Bennett and Kirby Smart and that roster. I thought that was a very, very good opportunity in game. I hate to capitalize on a good player getting injured. Yeah, yeah. But when it was nine to three, Alabama, and Jamison Williams clearly blew his knee out on the field. They were offering Georgia plus three at that point in time. And I thought going into the second half, Georgia would make the necessary adjustments defensively. I mean, they were good defensively in the first half. Uh, but I thought they would really key in on the run game and dare Bryce Young to beat Georgia with a bunch of backup wide receivers. And that's exactly what they did. I thought that was a very good opportunity in game. The fact that the books were giving you Georgia plus three, it, it felt too good to be true, but I had to do it. And then I'm, you know, I, I tweet that out. I'm like, how do you not bet Georgia plus three right now? And four or five people are like, because they're not going to score another point. And 90 seconds later, they scored a point. They scored, they kicked a field goal. So um, it's a microcosm of buying low, selling high. That was a very good position at that point. Once Williams got hurt, that was the first thing I looked at, which I guess makes me a sicko. Better future bet if you have to make it right now for next year's championship in college football. Alabama at 2-1 to one or Ohio State at 7-1? to one? Well, the numbers people would tell you 7-1. to one. I think Ohio State's going to be a very good offense again. But, man, Alabama returns Bryce Young and Will Anderson and Nick Saban. They might not lose a game. I mean, the team that they have coming in next year is going to be – I don't. you can't say twice as good because they went to the national championship and they were a three-point underdog. But this team coming back next year is looking like one of Saban's best teams he's had in a while. And that's saying a lot when you consider last year's team had Mac Jones and Jalen Waddell and John Mechie and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and a whole whole lot else. This team defensively coming in next year at Alabama is going to be freaking loaded. Problem is you're going to hold your money in limbo for a long time. I mean, the game isn't, you know, for another year. Are you really going to hold your $500 bet or your $250 bet at two to one for a whole year? I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is, Alabama is going to be favored in every single game they play next year, and they probably won't lose until the college football playoff, at which point, going into the playoff next year, that 2-1 to bet will probably be minus 200 if you follow. Right. Right. Uh, This is not the time to bet the Super Bowl because the numbers stink. There was value all throughout the season. But to win the Super Bowl, if we have to take someone, Sam? What do you want to take? You want to go with a, a big favorite, or are you going to take something with some value? No, I won't. I won't give your audience uh, like the Packers or Chiefs because those numbers were much better a month or two months ago. A team, given the number right now that is still relatively enticing, is the Los Angeles Rams at ten to one. Remember when they traded for Von Miller? That Super Bowl price at some books was cut down to five to one. Most of the market was five fifty six to one, and they didn't really play well after getting Von Miller. Uh, they had some COVID issues, they had some injuries, but that offense right now is really playing well. Um, concern is that they have Matthew Stafford, who's never won a playoff game, and the running game has not been great. But given the number and the path that they have, 
I mean, they can very easily beat the Arizona Cardinals. They would then face the winner of, uh, was it Dallas and San Francisco, likely. So, I mean, that's a very realistic path to the NFC Championship uh, where they would play probably Green Bay or Tampa Bay. The Rams at 10-1, to 1, I don't hate given the number. What about you guys? All right, Sam, let me try the other side of that matchup because I'm staring right now at Arizona at 28, a team that might, I don't know for sure, but just this is talking about the price, might get DeAndre Hopkins back at some point, might get J.J. Watt back at some point, and essentially has the same path as the Rams. Uh, this Arizona team, of course, limped to the finish, but when we talk about buying low and selling high, the Arizona Cardinals could be in a spot where if you think that the Niners are live, then the Niners, if they win, are going to Green Bay. And the winner of the Arizona game with Los Angeles is going to Tampa against a hobbled offense of the Bucks. So I know that the Rams are a better side right now in terms of the talent. What about 28 on the price? Well, if you like the Cardinals, sure. I mean, fire. And I'll tell you what, Candy, drive to the Superbook after the show. They've got 30 to 1 on go. Arizona, um, which is interesting because they have property in Arizona. I would think that people would already have whacked that in the state of Arizona. Yeah, I mean, like that game is a coin flip, literally. It's Los Angeles Rams minus four, which tells you on a neutral, these teams are almost the same. In fact, I was looking at Kenny White's uh, power ratings. He sends me his list over, you know, every week. He recalibrates his number. He's got the Rams at 108. And the Cardinals, actually, he's he's low on the Cardinals. He's got the Cardinals at 102.5. So he's much higher on the Rams and much lower on the Cardinals. But that market number tells you on a neutral, you know, a Vegas sports book would be dealing you Rams minus one and a half. Rams, actually, not even that low. It'd be Rams minus two. So, yeah, I mean, that's a coin flip game, man. And, uh, you know, I give you the Rams because I think they're likely going to win that game. But if they get upset by the Cardinals, here's the other thing. That 30 to 1 all of a sudden becomes 15 to 1 after just one game because they're not going to give you 20, 25 to 1. There's no way. They're going to cut that down probably in half. Sam Paniatovich, Nesson, also Fox Sports gambling expert, joins us every Tuesday on Cofield and Company. What's the best number I can get on the Cowboys? You could get 13 to 1 at a couple different books in this country. Best market number in Nevada. 12 to 1, 100 makes you 1,200. Now, there's some sharp money, too. I was talking with Murray. Um, he said that actually the two sharpest plays he's seen so far at the Superbook, the Cowboys minus three against San Francisco uh, and the Raiders plus six against Cincinnati. But to answer your question, you could get 12 to 1 on the Cowboys in Nevada. You like this, huh? I don't love it, but I like the way the Cowboys are playing. On both sides of the ball, I think some of it's kind of fool's gold because of the schedule they played in the NFC East. Uh, wait, so the Sharps are on the Niners or the Cowboys? Sharps are on the Cowboys minus three and the Ooh, Raiders okay. plus six. Yes, so that plays into your point about Dallas. And remember, guys, if you get this team now and they just win one game, this price will look decidedly different. It's. I think we talked about this last week. The Tennessee Titans were 12-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. And I said, well, they're a 10-point favorite against the Texans. They're going to win this game. It was close, but they won, and they were up 21-0, mind you. Tennessee went from 12-1 to to plus 850 after one game because they lock in the number one seed, and everybody's like, oh, wow, they're the one seed. 
well, yeah, they had an 85% chance to win the one seed. But you don't want to wait. If you like the Cowboys, this is like your last chance to get a semi-decent number because if they win their first-round game against San Francisco, guess what? All of a sudden, 12-1 to 1 becomes 8-1 to 1 because the field gets cut in half, so all the numbers have to essentially get cut in half. So this is it. Like You don't want to be betting futures at any point after this week because after this week, you will lose value every single week. How big was the handle? How big was the action overall with the opening of sports gambling in New York? Estimations, $200 million on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Wow. Now, we won't know these exact figures for some time. I mean, usually these states are months late. Like, you get November's numbers at the end of December or early January. But from the transaction logins, from all the geo-comply statistics, like, they were – I want to say there were like 15 million like phone transactions in the first 12 hours or something like that in New York, which is, is stupid, wow. insane. But from the people that I talk to that cover this stuff and cover uh, legislation and legalization, I've been told that roughly $200 million was wagered mobily in the state of New York, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. $200 million. Holy cow. Can only imagine the... Uh number of new gambling experts that there will be coming out of New York now. <laughs> Long-time gambling experts out of the state of New York. Uh, we, we, yeah, what, a, well, what, a year, what a year it was for the new experts, especially with the uh, the Barstool advisors, who uh, our guy Stu led the way, while uh, two of their big-name guys went like 44 and 46% in the NFL. Stu led the way with 48%. That is uh, not very good. You, no. uh, you could find a lot better handicapping in a lot of other places, but we won't go there. I can tell you this. I have many friends in New York who are very, very excited that they no longer have to leave New York, get on a freaking train yep. to New Jersey, get off the train, make the bet, get back on the train, go back home, or take a bus across the border. And, hell, I'm still in Massachusetts where who knows how much longer it's going to be here. I mean, I, I got here in December 2020. I was told six months. It's January 2022, and we still don't have any quick answers. So it's still amazing that in some states, roll out of bed, place a bet, and in others, it's like it's a foreign language. Yep. I guess good news, people in Western Mass have a short drive to go uh, find somewhere in New York where they can go bet. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm surprised. You guys like the Raiders this weekend? I know we've got some, uh, some time until they kick up, but do we like this Raiders defense against Burrow? What do we think? Candy? That's the <laughs> pause. Uh, the, 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 the host of the show takes a pause. Uh, yeah, I I'll say I love that part of the matchup. I mean, that part of the matchup is by far the the best of what the Raiders are going to get out of this thing. But if Carr gives you this week what he gave you last week, they're not winning that game. Damn, that's a lot of points to lay with the Bengals. Joe Burrow's never been in a postseason game in the NFL. I think that coach. Sometimes he's the smartest guy in the room. Raiders are playing with house money, man. That's a dangerous spot to be in. I, I would lean I would lean to the Raiders here, and I haven't bet them a lot this season. Sammy, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, pay attention. Bartender's going to be thirsty on Saturday. Be ready. Um, I'm going against him no matter what. I'm not playing with him ever again. I'm done. Smart. I'm done. I took a beating Smart. last week. See you. Yep. Five o'clock hours on the way as we'll get into uh, what's going on tonight uh, at – Two of our local venues at the Fortress as VGK is on the ice and uh, UNLV in a later start at 8 o'clock is going to be taking on New Mexico. 
Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.